start broadcast. All right. Putting it on. All business trends. Next. All right, I think we're about to go live. Here we go. Right. I think we're about to go live. Oh boy, I'm hearing myself. Okay. Oh boy, I'm hearing myself. All right, there we go. All right, guys, you ready? Yep. All right. I think we are live. I think we're live on Facebook. I think I'm Brent Leary. Actually, I'm sure I'm Brent Leary. But thank you for uh, joining us uh, for this next hour. Uh, welcome to the Facebook Live Black Friday Small Biz Trends, How to Sell More Online During the Holiday Season, uh, One Hour Thingy. That's what we're officially calling a one hour thingy. Um, but luckily for you, I'm joined by a bunch of people, well, at least two people right now, and we're going to have some other folks kind of joining us as we go through this next hour. Um, but what we're going to be focusing in on, you know, we are in the holiday season, and yesterday was Thanksgiving. Uh, there was a lot of turkey and stuff being eaten, but there's also a lot of business being done, according, uh, according to some of the things I saw earlier today. Uh, so what we're going to spend the next hour talking about is how can you get the, the most out of your holiday season from a business perspective, from a selling perspective, an online selling perspective, a mobile selling perspective, a bricks and mortar selling perspective. That's a lot of perspective. Uh, so I'm glad to be joined by some folks who have a lot of perspective in this area. Uh, originally joining me is my uh, my longtime buddy. They call him Colder Ice. I call him Boulder Ice, but it's John Lawson. He is a e-commerce uh, seller extraordinaire yeah uh, he as you can see in the background if you can see amongst the clutter uh you can see his book back there kick ass social commerce for epreneurs he did write that book that's right see i'm giving you a plug for that um so he's actually written the book on social commerce on e-commerce on social and you know buying stuff or selling stuff to people so he's going to be my co-pilot uh, for the hour. But we're also uh, pleased to join, have join us Peter Mesmer. Peter is a director. Peter, uh, am I getting your, your title right? Is it director of growth? Yep. Yep. That's right. Direct, that's a cool, you know, that's a cool title. Director of growth for ad shoppers. So Peter, thank you for joining us, Dan. This is great. Of course. Thanks, of course. For, having Thanks for having me. And uh, throughout the hour, we're going to have a couple other folks come on. Um, hopefully, I know one is definitely coming on. His name is uh, Alan Berkson. He is the director of community outreach for Freshdesk. He, so if you know anything about Freshdesk, uh, it's a platform that a lot of companies are using to help create better customer experiences, uh, customer support, all sorts of ways to communicate with customers when they need help. Uh, that's what Freshdesk supplies. 
And then hopefully a little later, we're going to have uh, another expert on from Adobe. His name is Kevin Lindsay. He is the uh, product director for Adobe Target, optimization expert. And, and we're going to be touching on that. Uh, so we may have some other folks stop on by too. So with that as kind of a drop, uh, kind of a, an outline, um, I actually put a couple of slides together. Not, we're not going to be doing slides, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll float them in every now and again uh, because there's a lot of good numbers um, that are already out about what took place just yesterday. Um, and so, as I pull that up, uh, and I'm going to toss it to John. Maybe you can give you just a little bit more of an intro. Uh, to what you do, and then Peter, why don't you follow up with that, and then I'll pop up a slide while uh, you guys are talking. Okay, okay cool. cool. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. I'm hearing I'm myself. myself. Let me do this. Yeah, I thought you were used to hearing yourself. Uh, hey, my name is John Lawson. I'm uh, with a company called Colder Ice Media. Um, basically, I've been doing the e-commerce gig for years and years, like since there was I don't know. I don't know. There was no computers like before computers. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, 2001 started a business online, did the eBay thing um, over the last, uh, what is that, like 16 years now. Uh, we do multiple channels um, into a lot of different things with consulting with other e commerce businesses. And I get to teach, train, speak, and I did write a book. So there you go. That makes me an expert because I wrote a book. I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. But anyway, any rate, that's me. And now on to Pita. <laughs> cool. Thanks, John. Uh, so yeah, as Brent said earlier, um, my name's Peter Mesmer. I'm the director of growth at Ad Shoppers. And uh, to, to introduce you to Ad Shoppers, uh, it is a on-site marketing platform that basically makes um, optimizing and um, engaging your e-commerce customer journey is e as easy as sending emails. So, um, you know, it takes everything, whether you're pushing promotions, capturing emails, um, generating referrals, anything like that, and just makes it super easy. Um, everything's all in one platform. Um, and yeah, that's basically what we do. Uh, that sounds good. No, that sounds good. And I'm actually, going to pop up a uh, slide because I just got this information um, just this morning. I was reading some some stuff out there and, and I want to get your guys um, opinion on on these numbers. So uh, reading an article earlier today, which said that uh, 1.5 1.15 billion was generated in online sales just yesterday between midnight and 5 p.m. Uh, which is a 13.6% increase over last year, apparently. Uh, and then look at the numbers for the mobile purchases. So mobile devices accounted for 449 million smartphones, making up the, the majority of that. Um, but uh, from your perspectives, uh, maybe, Peter, you go first. Um, is this, this number surprising to you? Is it a good number? Is it a bad number? What do you make out of all these numbers? Yeah, so what, what jumps out at me, uh, the first number makes a lot of sense because everybody's starting to push their uh, their shopping holidays earlier and earlier. And I mean, I got a lot of emails yesterday about, um, you know, people starting their sales a day early, uh, which, you know, I think might uh, at least partially explain the 
almost 14% year-over-year increase. Uh, the one that's a little bit surprising surprising to me is the mobile. Um, typically, smartphones um, convert about uh, 50% lower than tablets. So uh, I'm guessing the fact that smartphones were so much more than tablets, just in terms of the volume that we're looking at with these numbers, I guess there's just so much volume in, in the smartphone usage just skyrocketing that um, you know, it was so much higher than tablets. Um, I would have expected it to be maybe somewhere around 50-50 or even higher on tablets. Um, and who knows, maybe diminishing tablet usage could also you know, played into effect there. But um, that's really what jumps out at me. What do you think, John? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the uh, mobile. Although it does say mobile accounted for, I don't know necessarily how they account. So a lot of times, you know, they uh, will give you some detail, but just saying accounted for, I'm not sure that's cart uh, uh, completion by mobile, but we'll see. Um, and and we do see that the uh, mobile usage is definitely biting into tablet. You know, I think the, uh, the, the deal is, I mean, people are now walking around. Let me do this because I just, you know, this is not, you know, this is my new mobile phone. So it's a damn tablet. I mean, people are walking around with tablets on their head anyway these days. So <laughs> it, it's uh, it, it's almost, it doesn't even matter anymore. But uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. One of the things I have seen, or at least from this uh, first set of data, is the deceleration of increase year over year. Because 2015's increase over 2014 was approximately 26%. And you just think about why that might be. Well, one, I know last year there was a lot of backlash, you know, over Friday's or Thursday sales. It's like some people were into it, other people were not so into it. And I think now we're starting to see a stabilization probably of, of people saying, okay, we're going to actually do some... Uh, buying on Thanksgiving Day. But uh, it'll be interesting to see once they finalize these numbers. Okay, uh, real quick, there's another set of numbers that kind of uh, set the stage. So this comes from the folks over at Adobe who do, it's really the Adobe Digital Index, uh, great data based on a lot of their customers and how they're um, transacting business online. So there's some, some of the projections. So we talked a little bit about um, yesterday, Thanksgiving Day, uh, $2 billion, the first time I guess it hit $2 billion on Thanksgiving Day. Um, but it looks like they're projecting for Black Friday, and look at the, the, the steep increases for these things. Uh, Black Friday today, over $3 billion. Cyber Monday, uh, you know, and I guess originally when we thought of selling we always thought of Black Friday, but it looks like Cyber Monday is is by far the biggest day, at least for online purchasing. Um, you guys, who wants to jump in and talk a little bit about what what you expect to happen? Is this a, is these numbers trending the way you expect them to uh, when it comes to today and then uh, Monday and even just in general for the whole season? So uh, whoever wants to jump in on that one, go ahead and take it. Well, I'll just say this, man. We do expect it. Cyber Monday continues to outpace both, you know, uh, Thanksgiving and Black Friday numbers, at least in the e-commerce space. Um, and the one thing that we kind of see with, uh, like, Black Friday, 
is the trend is early morning and then it kind of dips and then it comes back up a little bit in the evening. But Cyber Monday has this weird kind of thing. It starts off really strong and it goes throughout the day. And then at around 5 to 8, 5 p.m. to 8 Eastern, we see a huge spike. So, um, you know, Cyber Monday is is the beast, at least in our uh, area. It's just amazing what happens. And again, we're seeing a lot of people taking advantage of things uh, that I think here's what happens sometimes is that people hold their shopping back little by little. And so what we used to see that would happen in one day, now a few years ago started to happen over a week's time. Now we're seeing it happen over almost a month's time. So Cyber Monday kind of ends that month. And I think the spending is absolutely, uh, it's going to spike again like we expect it to. Peter, what do you think? Yeah, I um, I echo that same thing. I'm glad you pulled up. I was just, I was interested in the Green Monday. Um, I'm glad you pulled up the, the next slide here because um, that's also one of the ones that people don't talk about too much, but it's, uh, I mean, you can see here, I think it's like the third biggest maybe after Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I think John's last point is really the the same one that I would I would echo. Um, you know, people hold back, and then the entire uh, weekend, you know, up ending on Cyber Monday is really when everybody holds back for. And then, you know, Cyber Monday is the big urgency day, and I think that's why it's even bigger than Black Friday because um, it's like you know this is the last day where you're going to be able to get these great deals. So. Um, you know, you need to do something, you know, now before it's all gone. Um, so that all makes sense to me. Um, and then the, the numbers, I was, it's interesting to see that the numbers on that last slide, they pretty closely match uh, the one from the first slide where everything's up in that 11 to 13, 14% range. So um, I think that's, I think those numbers are all looking spot on. Hey, Peter, let me ask you, you guys do ad shoppers. And I mean, basically, uh, just just tell us a little bit about the technology that you guys have with e-commerce uh, shopping carts and and uh, online businesses. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, so our uh, technology has been evolving over the years, um, and uh, one that I would like to highlight um, is is something that we have coming out um, right around now, um, and it's called the Shopper Portal. And the reason I want to highlight this is because it's really timely. Um, most people, I think, have heard that uh, in January, Google is going to start penalizing mobile sites that have immediate pop-ups on entry. So we have something called the Shopper Portal that takes pretty much all of the promotional type of activity that you do, and it combines it into one little portal um, that you see it at the bottom of the screen. So it's super non-intrusive. It doesn't rely on pop-ups that annoy people. Um, I think, like, personally from working with people every day, uh, the thing that I hear time and time again is people saying pop-ups are annoying, but they work. Um, so that kind of, it was able to fly for a while um, because it was still working for the marketers. Sure, it was frustrating the users, but as long as the marketers you know, got what they wanted, no one was gonna stop it. But now that Google's stepping in and starting to crack down on those kind of things, you know, now people are trying to figure out like, okay, well, you know, what are we gonna do? Because you don't wanna, you know, lose what you were getting before. Um, and by pop-ups, I mean, you know, what you get out of that is something like uh, growing your email list or 
you know, increasing your conversion rates by showing some kind of personalized offer or something like that. So if you kill all of those things just to appease Google, you know, you're going to lose everything that you were getting. Um, but with our shopper portal, uh, even in, a, in some of the testing that we've done so far, we've actually seen higher conversion rates on mobile as far as capturing email addresses than um, you know, we saw before with pop-ups. So um, it's really kind of like a win-win for you, know, you as well as your customers. It's a better experience. Uh, it's not going to be penalized or anything like that. And um, you know, it also converts even better. So. Um, okay, let me ask you this. So here's the deal. I mean, you guys have installations across multiple platforms, you know, and it's kind of like independent of the e-commerce uh, platform that somebody might be on. I mean, it works on the Shopify, it works on BigCommerce, it works on Magento, all of these stores. So do you guys get aggregate data of increased in sales or increased engagement across all those channels? Yeah, we do. Um, so yeah, plugs into any platform, um, you know, and we'll be able to, we track things like, you know, just like revenue, uh, unique visitors, conversion rate, you know, most of those high level things. So yeah, we can track, you know, how things trend over time. Cool. Hey, uh, real quick, uh, I'm going to throw this out there because we got a, uh, a question from Anita Campbell, who of course is the, the publisher of Small Business Trends. And thanks Anita for letting us uh, do this on the Small Business Trends uh, Facebook page. So um, Anita is asking, what about spending for B2B? What are we seeing? Uh, and I don't, I don't know if you guys have any specific answers or any ballpark, but what happens during the holiday season, during Cyber Monday, during Black Friday, from a B2B spending perspective? Any, any insights on those, on that? Hmm. I'm going to let him go first and I'll make my thought. Then you'll make your stuff up, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would say that it, it probably mirrors what we see on the B2C side. The spikes might not be as high, but um, you know, I would imagine that end of the year, a lot of businesses have budget left over. So you know, why not get the stuff that you need? Uh, you know, if it's going to be a little bit lower, if you know, you're, you're buying from, from channels that are doing like end of year deals. So, um, I, unfortunately, I don't have any like data off the top of my head that I can pull from, but um, just uh, that's what I would guess is that it, you know, mirrors what we see on the B2C side, but just maybe the spikes aren't, aren't quite as high. And, you know, the thing is, I deal with a lot of independent uh, e-commerce guys, and I'll tell you right now, a lot of them are part of the numbers of spiking buying that you're probably seeing right now. So people are right now running to JCPenney's, you know, uh, Walmart, buying stuff up, and then they're going to send it to FBA. And then you're going to see it being resold to the consumer on platforms like Amazon and eBay. So part of this spike that you see ends up going back in and being resold to consumers thanks to, you know, independent business owners. And I'm watching them right now in different threads that I belong to talk about the deals that they're getting uh, in Black Friday sales that they're going to go back and flip for less than retail pricing on uh, the marketplace channels. Interesting stuff. So. All right. I want to ask you both. Uh, maybe, Peter, I'll start with you. Um, I have the slide up for a reason. It says 25% of consumers will pay higher prices during holiday season. Is, is that 
a brick and mortar? Is it also the same for online? Uh, are online shoppers willing to pay that kind of premium as well? Uh, that's an interesting stat for sure. I've actually haven't seen this one before. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at it. I think people paying higher prices during the holiday, um, I would think that would tend to be um, people that are buying gifts. And, you know, when you're buying a gift for somebody, you might not be quite as price conscious, you know, especially if someone's like, you know, maybe it's your, um, maybe it's like your son or something and or daughter or your kids and they want a specific item that, you know, maybe it's not the cheap like store brand, but it's an actual, you know, a premium brand and, you know, you might splurge during the holidays. So you're willing to pay a higher price. Um, that would be what, that's what this looks like to me. Um, or the other thing, I don't know if this is like a, like higher price per product um, is the stat here, if it's just like a higher average order value. Um, trying to look at it. Yeah, I think it, I think it's maybe per, per product, but if it's just kind of like a higher order value, uh, I mean, obviously people are buying more, so, um, that, that could also be something. And another thing to add to that is scarcity, because as the hot product of the year goes out of stock, people have to get it. They have to have it. There's a deadline. If I need that product, I remember last year it was a stupid game called Pie Face. And this game, I believe, sells at retail for like $15. By the time we were ramping up to uh, a week or, yeah, about a week before Christmas, that game was going for $80 to $100 for a $15 game. And every year we see that happen. I mean, last year it happened for those stupid, you know, scooters or not even the scooters, what were they called, hoverboards, right? The thing that blew up and probably put your house on fire, you know, I mean, so, but people will pay a premium just because they have a deadline. They have to get it that day because after the 25th, it's no longer worth the value that they want to have when that kid opens that present. So they will actually pay a premium to get it if it's scarce. Shelf life, okay. oh, not shelf life, uh, 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 just the time is you got to have it on this day or else it's no good. That, isn't that kind of what happened with UPS a couple years ago where they were people were buying a bunch of stuff and people were expecting to get their stuff before Christmas and UPS just completely blew it? No, that's not what happened. It's not what happened. No. What happened, that, what, what happened was is that the, uh, the, the industry got caught flat-footed. Nobody expected the volume of last day you know, uh, buying during that shopping season. And really, Amazon got hit the most. They used UPS, and they were pretty much solid with UPS. And after that, uh, uh, last year, we saw a major change in that industry where Amazon not only used UPS, they spread it out so that they were using the United States Postal Service, FedEx, but none of them were expecting what we got and the transformation between, you know, going out to brick and mortar at the last minute to going to Amazon for prime shipping at the last minute. And a lot of products didn't arrive on time. So nobody's going to have that happen again. <laughs> That's good. We learn from our uh, our uh, experiences, which is a good thing. Uh, speaking of experiences, we're, we've touched on mobile and it's easy to see that mobile is a huge part and a growing part of uh, retail during the holiday season. 
um, and what you think of mobile, you don't typically think of email, you think of apps, you think of uh, SMS. Um, but as this slide says, email rated number one to get offered to consumers mobile devices while shopping. Um, talk a little bit about, uh, you, you know, the email still being kind of a main driver. Uh, is it just for mobile or is email still a pretty big driver of uh, shopping during the holiday season? I think it's a big driver across the board. Um, but I mean, mobile especially, it makes sense. I mean, everybody has email. I think most, most, a lot of people probably check their email more often on their phone than they do, you know, computers now, especially people that um, maybe they don't really work. They use a computer at work or anything. So they might only check their computer like once a day or even once a week, but they're on their phone, you know, the entire day. So, uh, you know, it's, you're definitely going to get your message, you know, across over email, and then people are going to open that email um, on their, you know, their mobile device. So, you know, um, yeah, I think that's uh, definitely why email is uh, the number one way to get offers, you know, during the shopping holidays. Um, you know, I myself, I mean, I'll just see a, you know, maybe a store that I've been following or something. It'll pop up on my phone, like Black Friday's deal, and I mean, you got to open it and at least check it out. And then if there's something in there that you want, I mean, it's just a tap away. And then now you're, you know, on the site and you're shopping. So, um, you know, less distractions too on email, you know, smaller device. So, you know, if you can get people reading your emails. And then you know, if, as long as you have something interesting to you know, the, the customer, then it's a, you know, really easy to get them, you know, into the site. Anything to add to that, Mr. Uh, Mr. Ice? Yeah, I mean, email definitely is uh, still king of engagement for sales with uh, commerce. However, I mean, I must go with the normal chorus of email is dead, which will mean that this year I will actually predict it once again. <laughs> but I think what's about to happen here is that, you know, um, I was in a I was in a, uh, a event. And I'm, I'm I'm standing there and I'm telling everybody how many people reach, you know, uh, read their emails this morning. How, you know, and I've done this for over several uh, years to make a point that we all interact with email on a daily. The other it had to be about two months ago. I did this and there was a table full of uh, millennials. And literally they had a quizzical look on their face and they did not raise their hand. And four out of five of them don't even have an email address. And I'm like, really? And the other one just had it for signing up for stuff. So in order to get a free offer, they have to make up an email address or they have a spare Gmail address, right? So in a conversation with them, I found out that um, there is less and less of the next generation that are dependent upon emails. However, what they are dependent upon is of course, instant messaging. So my next year, you know, uh, thing is, I think that email is important. It's still number one, but I think you're going to see a creep of Facebook Messenger and Messenger-like apps that are going to be an opportunity for businesses to get right in front of customers. And, you know, every time that Messenger app goes off, I immediately open it. Now, if I got an email notification, I'm not immediately opening it. So there's going to be some interesting things that come to pass. Because if you go back to your slide um, real quick, I just wanted to 
point that uh, yeah, it's 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 you see the text, the SMS text was 19%. It's because part of it is we don't want people to text us. We only give certain people the amount of we feel like it's 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 invasive if if you text me, you know. We don't feel that way about email. And I don't think we're going to feel that way about Messenger going forward. But we'll be this is one to watch. Watch Facebook Messenger and how uh, businesses are going to be able to interact with their customers and engage that way. Uh, that's uh, you bring me to a point that I wanted to talk to uh, that, that actually Peter had put some some notes together for us. And this is lines up perfectly because I want to talk about the role of chat bots. You, we're hearing a lot about bots. Um, John just mentioned about, you know, the impact that Messenger is going to have. Uh, Facebook Messenger kind of started the, the ball rolling. And now you're seeing a lot of companies trying to interact with uh, their customers in in Messenger because they know a lot of folks live in, in Facebook or at least spend a lot of time there. But now you're starting to see uh, companies like uh, HubSpot. I'm, I brought this up because I've been starting to look at their growth bot from a marketing perspective. But you talk a little bit about where bots are fitting in. Maybe are they fitting in? Are people actually using it this holiday season to, to drive opportunities? Or do you see that as something that's going to be coming maybe next year or the year after? Yeah, I don't know so much about this year. I know a lot of people are starting to experiment with like the Facebook Messenger bots and stuff like that. Um, I installed GrowthBot too myself, actually. Um, I don't really use it too much, but I, I installed it. Um, I think this is, again, kind of like John was saying, going to be an area to watch for sure. Um, you know, it's just I've seen some really interesting uh, kind of startups in the in the chatbot area, especially for e-commerce where, you know, you just start a I think you can even run Facebook ads to them. So you run a Facebook ad to get someone to start a conversation and then it's all AI driven after that, um, like we sell t-shirts, what kind of t-shirts are you interested in? And then they reply with like, uh, you know, show me a Carolina Panthers t-shirt and then like, what's your size? And then like it kind of the, the bot drives the conversation. Um, so I think those are gonna be really interesting to watch uh, whether or not people end up like resonating with that. Like, I don't know if personally if I would rather like buy from a chat bot than just going to a site and figuring it out myself, but you know, maybe the you know millennials, uh, you know, maybe they would prefer that kind of experience. Um, so it's, I think it's one to watch for the future. Um, this year, I don't think it's going to drive too much. Next year, you know, in the in the couple years after, uh, you know, for sure, I think it could be something that'll be um, really big. I'm yeah. just going to say, I, I'm going to say, uh, I actually do use the growth bot. Um, I was I was up at the inbound conference a week and a half ago or something like that. Uh, and I will tell you, I think I use it more from a competitive intelligence standpoint because you can plug in, and I would suggest you guys check out, uh, I think it's growthbot.org. Um, you can use that thing and you can use it within Twitter or within Facebook, use a Facebook Messenger, and you can ask it questions about what companies are using what kind of software or, or, or what keywords are they buying or PPC. And you'd be surprised at the kind of competitive intelligence you get out of that. So if you want to see who your competitor, uh, what what marketing software they're using, um, and I don't know how the exact accuracy of it, but I, I've checked. I've asked some companies that I know. I said, hey, is, are you using some of these tools? And they're like, yeah, where'd you get that information from? Um, so 
you're able to use that maybe more from a competitive intelligence perspective now. Eventually, I think um, you'll be using it to actually drive customers to do things from your website or from other devices. And so I see that our, our uh, next guest is in the house, Mr. Alan Bergson, uh, all the way from, uh, I was going to say money earner Mount Vernon, but I just know you're in New York somewhere. <laughs> Can you hear me all right? Uh, you sound great. You even got the nice headset. You know, you can. Yeah. What's the hat got on the, the logo? Got, I, yeah, don't worry about the logo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's just say it's about 90 days till pitchers and catchers report or something like oh, that. Oh, God. He's already counting down the days for the Mets. Yeah, All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, folks, Alan is the director of community outreach for Fresh Desk. Uh, Alan, I already said that you guys have a great platform for helping customers or the companies. Uh, take care of customers, get their questions answered. Doesn't matter what uh, channel you're in, you help them manage that whole process. That's what Fresh Desk does. Well, and not so, me, Fresh Well, Desk. yeah, you're, you're, you're like, <laughs> yep. uh, but uh, coming from the Fresh Desk perspective and the customer service perspective, give us some insight on just how important customer service, customer experience is during the holiday season. How do you help when they're not even customers yet? Can you help? Uh, people get stuff done well uh, uh, there's the whole keep calm meme that going around well keep calm and show empathy i think is probably the the best thing you could say from a customer service point of view um it it, it there's never a more stressful shopping uh season than the holiday season the the, the buyers are stressed the sellers are stressed the customer service are stressed so uh trying to put a little perspective and, and stay calm and keep empathy, I think is probably one of the biggest things. But I, I, th I saw a stat you posted about loyalty. I think you had a, had a, uh, a uh, on one of your slides, something about 5% of customers account for like 35% of revenue. Yeah, keep talking, I'll pull it up. Yeah, so if, if that's the case, you, you can't think about one-off in terms of what you're gonna sell now. You have to think about long-term, so every, Every opportunity to engage with a customer is an opportunity uh, to impress, to create loyalty, to extend your brand. Uh, and so if you're just thinking about short term and you just want to sell some stuff and, and you're done and you're not going to have to worry about next year, that's fine. But I don't think many companies fall into that category. So uh, it, valuing that customer service engagement. And so then you need to be prepared uh, in terms of that. I, I saw you talked about chatbots just as I was walking in. Yeah, yeah. Add your perspective for, to that. So, the, so the interesting thing about that is, chatbots. We, we talk about how chatbots can help, um, can help uh, the customer in terms of getting more information or, or helping with the sale. But uh, one of the things we're working on at Freshdesk is actually the flip side. How can I make the agent more effective? Um, I'm just going to relate a story. It's about my mom and dad, and I know how everybody talks about mom and dad stories with computers. Um, my mother bought a uh, Microsoft Surface Pro. And she was trying to set up her email on it, and it couldn't do it. And she called up Microsoft, and they couldn't help her. And then they 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 conversed in GoDaddy, which is where who hosts her email, and they couldn't solve it. I went in and did a quick Google search, and I found it in about three seconds. So, my question is, why couldn't they solve the problem? And it's it's how many times have you called up and you got an agent and they didn't know something, and then you can call the same company and get an agent, and they're very knowledgeable. And that gap is a customer service challenge because you get an, you get an inconsistent experience. So 
we're looking at chatbots to actually help the agents so that it's a communication internally to help find you know, what's the next best action. Um, or how, how do I, we've seen problems like this before, here are some of the solutions, here's some of what our best agents have done. Because instead of them just trying to search through the knowledge base, let's, let's have a little machine learning and AI help them get a better answer to it. So that's kind of our perspective on chatbots. Yeah, you know what, I wanna dovetail on that a little bit because I just came back from you know the Watson event and Watson was all about the AI, but it wasn't, it was not really so much in that vein of AI just for the sake of something, you know, talking to a computer and cognitive understanding, but also it was about the intelligence helping out the people that were on staff to be able to distribute the information throughout the organization. So it's it, it went from a, um, what they said it was IA instead of uh, AI, and the IA would be um, uh, what intelligent assistance. You know, so we're we it's really about us working with the computer understanding. If you go back to the uh, uh, original, like, you know, what's that? Uh, uh, Terminator. Well, the Terminator, it kind of looked like a human. But if you just think about how we're going to be able to operate when we're able to take in all the information and then make an informed, intelligent decision as the human being. And that's where we really are trying to go to. And then I want to jump on what Peter said about, you know, robots. And I don't know about, you know, of how we would use a robot. But see, people don't even get it. Once the once once you use a robot and don't even know you're using it, then it doesn't have any friction. So each I know so many people that use robots damn near daily. It's called Uber. It's a robot. That <laughs> robot is he, 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 listen, this robot tells people where to go pick up other people. It is a boss. It's the boss. People work for this robot <laughs> called Uber. But we don't Our even robot catch robot overlords. It's a robot overlord, you yeah. know? And we are in it right now, guys. It's, it's, it's well, crazy, but it's going to happen fast. John, I want to pick up on something you said in terms of the, the there's there's a concept of there's simple things, there's complicated things, and there are complex things. That's that's a hierarchy, right? Um, machine learning and and, you know, and and bots can handle simple things really well, and they're starting to be able to handle complicated things pretty well. Complex things are, we're, we're we're pretty far off. Uh, right. Simple is a recipe, right? You know, a recipe food. Complicated is putting a man on the mood. Complex is raising a child. It's a, it's a whole different order. So if you want to think about how do I make have the best agents, it's no longer about having somebody who can just answer the phone and say something nice. You actually have to start being able to handle those complicated, those complex problems. Um, there's a concept I talk about a lot called intelligent disobedience. I think Brent, oh, did we just lose Brent? Um, no, I'm still here. Okay, so intelligent disobedience is something they teach uh, like guide dogs. So if you've ever been in an area where they've got uh, the beeping for for uh, you know for traffic lights, so a blind man's trying to cross the street, he's got his guide dog, he hears the beeping that says he can cross, and he nudges his dog and the dog doesn't move. A half a second later, a car goes through the red light. The dog is trained with intelligent disobedience to know that I have to deal with the comp the, the, these these complex exceptions and to know that I have to maybe override 
what my orders are. That's what we have to do with customer service agents, for example. They have to be empowered because they're right. they're going to get those really complex problems. The simple ones, I'm going to go I'm going to look up my knowledge base or my chatbots are going to handle it. The complicated ones. So this is a whole new level of training and a whole new level of empowerment that you need for your agents. Yeah. Crazy times. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick around the, the, the horn, because um, it sounds like we're, we're, we're getting there, but we're not there yet. Uh, the folks over at HubSpot said that um, just like companies were building websites over the last several years, now they're going to be companies, actual regular folks that have you know, businesses that aren't tech companies. In addition to managing their websites, they're going to have to develop and manage bots that work along with those websites. Is that something that you guys think is true or not true? Peter, what do you think? Uh, I mean, well, I'll just say true. I, so many, you could break that down so many different ways. Um, but I'm just gonna say, well, I'll keep it simple and say true. <laughs> Speaking of simple, we'll go to John now. <laughs> I say, um, you know, I think that's an opportunity. I think that's an opportunity. And somewhere in the middle, you're going to have like a company like, you know, one of these guys' company that's going to fill the gap because people are stupid. How about that? <laughs> Come on. Is that a way to pass it off to Alan? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you know what? I'm, I'm actually going to agree with John. Um, not that people are stupid, but that you said develop. I don't think the word is develop. I think the word is deploy. Um, mm. You know, 20 years ago, if I want, every company had to have a website. So you sat there with HTML and you had to do all this crap to build your website. Nobody builds websites anymore. They deploy WordPress or some, you know, so the same thing's going to happen from a bot point of view or from, you know, this, this, this advanced technology point of view that that's an opportunity, like John said, where, some to fill that, to make it easier. The small business owner has no time. They're right. wearing 12 hats. They're doing sales, operations, management, marketing, everything. So that the opportunity certainly for companies like mine is to come in and give deployable tools that are easy to deploy and easy to use and easy for customers to inter interface with to help that problem. So I'm gonna agree probably with both, but more with John. Sorry, Peter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't hear no, that. I was, we, we were all in agreement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. It's all coming. Right. All right. I, I got to pick your brain um, once again. Um, I don't know if this is something future uh, or if we're there yet, but uh, the voice. We're, we're hearing th about conversational commerce. We have devices like the, the Echo. And I, I'm popping up this slide in particular because people, I got to make sure I say this without my device going off. Um, so you you are you gonna are are we at the point where we're going to see uh, a significant amount of commerce coming through devices where you actually say hey a I want you to buy something for me instead of us clicking we're actually using our voice to buy things from our devices how much how significant is that today um, and then will it be significant if it's not today. When will it be significant, if it will be significant at all? Um, uh, Peter, let's go with you on this one. <laughs> Mo is going first. Uh, <laughs> um, so for this, um, I, the Amazon example, um, I think it's I think it's a step for them where, I mean, they're a really long-term company. 
So uh, I think it's about removing friction from shopping. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know what, like, if you think about just about any consumer, I mean, myself included, probably all of us, like ideally in our ideal world, when we needed to buy something, we could just say to somebody, like, go buy this for me. I don't feel like going on this, to the store. I don't even feel like cracking open my my computer and going to the website and figuring it out. Uh, I just want to say, like, buy this. So this removes a ton of friction. You know, if you can just like order something through the the Amazon device. Um, so I think the stage that we're in right now is they're doing uh, promotions that you can only get through that because Amazon's trying to get people hooked on it. And you know, the more people they can get using this, uh, the more used to you know ordering through Amazon and and through this device are going to be. Um, you know, and then it's kind of like I mean they've they like to segment out their audience into the people that buy from the most. So, you know, their prime members spend, what is it like two or three times more a year something like that. So I would imagine, you know, the more people they can get, especially from that group ordering through, you know, a device like this simply by voice, uh, you know, is they're going to get a lot of people hooked on that. And that's going to increase that value even more that, you know, those, those most loyal customers are spending. Um, so that's kind of, that's, I guess that's my take on it from a, Amazon perspective. Hey, this morning I just bought a dot and I had to go and get my pad because I don't have, you know, one. And I went and got my pad just to talk to it so I could save 10 bucks. So I got a dot for 29 bucks. So that's how you get a dot for 29 bucks. <laughs> well, they're, they're incentivizing, like Peter was saying, they're incentivizing people to buy through this device. Uh, and, and partly because uh, they want to get you hooked on buying through that device because the easier it is, like Peter said, there's friction removed. So how easy is it now to just yell at your device and say, hey, get me this, as opposed to pulling up your mobile device, typing something? You know, who wants to do that? Alan, what, what are you thinking about this? Um, I think that there's definitely a technology piece and a people piece. I think what Peter said about people getting changing their habits and being able to do that. But I also think that we're actually probably going to blow past the voice activated piece into a anticipatory piece. You know, Michael Mose, who's one of the senior analysts for Gartner, likes to say, you should know what you know about me from a CRM point of view. Mm -hmm. So my devices are going to talk to me and say, I see you're running low on this. Should I order it? And you just say yes. Or you can set it. So it, it's more automation and more anticipatory and as opposed to just me asking, you know, creating a list. I mean, people have to change their habits. I have to get used to saying, if I need something, I'll put it on my list. If I, or maybe I'll put on a list and, and the, my AI will say it's on sale now. It's not a good time to buy it because based on buying history, look, I have an app I use. I'm trying to get a flight to go to Antigua in February. And it's going to tell me at some point, now's your good time to buy, right? So that whole idea of anticipating based on trends that I don't know about and also based on my needs, I think we're going to blow past that Voice is just it's just another interface like a keyboard. That's that's old. That's that's 20th century. It's just a different way of instigating the, the, the transaction. I think the whole anticipatory part. The I know what you need, or I'm I'm going to anticipate you need and, and check with you to make sure. I think that's the the next key phase. Huh. Silent. <laughs> you guys are. I'm just. I'm like. There's so much that we got. We could cover. We don't have a lot of time. Uh, Peter, you you put together a. Uh, a little 
one pager for me that's been helpful, and I want to touch on some of this. Data-driven campaigns. Uh, talk a little bit about the role of data-driven campaigns during the holiday season and what people, how could people get started with that? Yeah, sure. So um, I'll just start with one that I think is interesting, and that's like alert campaigns. So, um, and this almost kind of ties the same thing in that Alan was just talking about, like if uh, you know there's a better price or if you know things change. So, you know, if you can trigger campaigns based on you know something coming back in stock, which um, is more like out of stock is more likely to happen during you know the the Q4 holiday season. People are just buying more, so. You know, the and those are the items that are in the most demand. So if you can run campaigns around, you know, an item just being back in stock, um, you know, you can use that data point to trigger, you know, a message on the site on that product page. It says, hey, this product is back in stock, um, but it sold out last time, so it's probably going to sell it again. That adds urgency, so that's going to convert better. And then you can also, uh, you know, email that out. Uh, if you have the tracking tools to you know, tell maybe anybody that's looked at that product page, um, or even if you have people signing up for uh, you know, in-stock alerts, just entering their email on that product page, um, good way to drive like super high converting you know, traffic um, you know, for things that you might ordinar ordinarily miss out on. Um, so that's one that I think is really powerful. Um, you know, another one is like wish lists. So, you know, if you can get people to build and populate wish lists, you know, during um, the holiday season or even before anticipating the holiday season, you know, knowing what people have in their wish list is powerful. You can, you know, show them, you know, retargeting ads based on that, send emails, maybe, again, bring in some more data points. So maybe a product in your wish list has gone on sale or it's back in stock or it's something like that. Um, and then you can also run campaigns around getting people to share out their wish list with friends if you want to integrate a social aspect. So, you know, let's say I have a, a wish list on this. We'll use the site that's pulled up right now. Let's say I have this uh, mosquito net in my wish list and, uh, you know, I maybe have five or six other products. You know, if you can maybe show a message, you know, prompting me to share out my wish list with, you know, my friends, maybe email it to somebody that's, um, you know, asking me what I want. It's super easy. Uh, you know, and you can keep track of all that stuff. Uh, you know, personally, I don't, I have a hard time like keeping track of things that I might want to have on a wish list. Uh, but, you know, if you have that really easy, then it's much easier for, you know, me, the person picking the wish list. It's obviously much easier for someone that wants to pick something off somebody's wish list. Um, so that's another uh, powerful, you know, campaign, I think. Um, yeah, that works you know really well but it's it's really just all about uh you know what data points can you pull that show intent or you know interest in a product and then you know how can you combine those data points of interest with you know data points that measure or you know kind of uh, or show things like um urgency so things coming back in stock or special offers and then once you have those two it's just a matter of you know pushing it out to the consumer so you know emails uh you know uh, targeted, you know, messages on the website or um, you know, just any other channels that you know you have the you know retargeting ads, anything that's you know connected to that you know on that on that one to one basis with that customer. Target is retargeting different from remarketing. I, I hear both these terms. Are they synonymous or how to, are they different in some way? They're synonymous to me. I mean, it's. Um, I don't know if maybe some person somewhere like has some kind of differentiator between the two, but it's basically 
um, you know, someone that's visited, I'll just use highest, you know, level basic example, someone that's visited your website and then they left and then you're going to retarget or remarket to them using, um, you know, ads primarily. I think it's just a strategy. I think it's a strategy difference. Okay. Just, I mean, it's very, very minimal, but just how you approach it a little bit. Selling on third-party sites, how is that a good strategy for the short holiday season, Mr. E-commerce expert, Mr. Cold Rice? Well, yeah, absolutely. Frank, can, I just throw in an extra, can I just throw in a question there yeah. too? This was a relevant conversation I had yesterday with a cousin at at, uh, at Thanksgiving. He, you has, with the family again, Alan? Was this, make a living I'm off your family? You, that's that's right. That's where I get. That's where I learn a lot. So he's got he's got big he's got retail stores and he also sells on online. I think he's using a product called Sellbrite, so he can sell. I think he's doing Amazon, eBay, and Walmart right, or something right. like that. So there's this commoditization in his mind of I just I'm just trying to find outlets, and the same thing's happening on the consumer side because they just want to either find the best price or experience. So I'm just how do you as a small business owner differentiate in that sort of commoditized market? I, I that I'm really wondering how that's going to happen. Price and service, you know, I, that's what I believe. Uh, and of course, you don't want to race to the bottom, which those kind of you know tools kind of uh, amplify and, and make happen. The other, the, the next phase is gonna to have to be, how, e how fast can you get it to me? How easy is it gonna be to return it? And what kind of other ways are you gonna support me as a customer? That's one. The other thing that a lot of people don't think about is bundling, all right? So it's, it's, it's like the old school days. Once the movie got out of, you know, uh, uh, nobody cares about the movie, then all of a sudden we put all the college movies together in a four pack and then you sell that. So bundling is another way to differentiate. Just add, don't just add a screw, but add something relevant to it. And now all of a sudden everybody's looking, they see just that thing. But over here, I see that thing plus the case. And all of a sudden I'd rather have that. So that's another way to do it. Hey, uh, Socially engaged users spend 8.2% more than non-engaged users. Then that's just something that uh, that Peter put out for me. And 27.56% of social revenue comes from Facebook. Uh, and those numbers, I think, are from 2014. What, where do you think we are in terms of overall what where the revenue from social is, is, is coming from? Is it Are we in double digits from uh, social providing revenue? And is Facebook eating up the social market? Is there, are there, is Instagram, I, mean, I don't know if they break the numbers out between Instagram or Facebook or not, but is there any, let's say, non Facebook associated sites? Where are they providing any significant level of shopping opportunity? Or is it a Facebook world when it comes to social commerce? Whoever wants to. I'll, I'll start. Um, I think Facebook's, I mean, it's the, it's the, you know, the, the 800 pound gorilla. It's, um, it also has the most tracking. So, you know, sites like um, Snapchat, there's really no tracking. So you can't really tell. <laughs> um, and Instagram also, or at least like organic, you know, Instagram doesn't really have much tracking either. So you can't really tell. Obviously, I mean, that's technically part of Facebook if you want to group it together, but uh, I mean, we see, at least in uh, 
the last stats that we pulled, um, Twitter drives a lot of traffic in um, in Q4. Um, so I don't think it's you know Facebook or nothing. I think you know a lot of those other channels can be significant. Um, Twitter, like I said, Twitter drives a lot of traffic. I mean, there's also some more niche networks. Um, you know, I know there's some fashion networks um, and some others like you know Bonnie Low. I'm not sure how much they're doing right now, but they're you know a little bit more um, significant. So I mean, I think if you look at your 80 20, you know the 80 percent probably is Facebook, but there are some others that can have an impact um, for sure. And then I mean, that's just based off the statistics that we can see. I mean, I'm sure there's some brands that are killing it on snapchat this year and nobody really knows because it's like not really as public as looking at somebody's facebook page and there's not really very much tracking going on um but yeah i mean yeah so i mean facebook again it's, it's number one for sure but um i mean i don't think it's the only opportunity out there essentially if you're thinking about you know social yeah, I was at shop.org and I swear they said something on stage that I was like, that's probably right. And he said 80% or more of purchasing is influenced by social media. So you can't, so no matter what anybody can point to and measure, we can't even measure the influence of social media, you know, on purchasing decisions today. So even if I'm just looking for something on a site, I'll just go and Google that site and see if they have a social presence before I purchase from that site. That makes me feel better. So, you know, I, it's, 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 it's something you can't overlook at all. Social is the new, I don't know what it is, the new. However, what I did want to do is like, you can't, I can't even separate Instagram from Facebook now because they own them both. So whatever data they're, pulling, they're probably pulling it from both places and utilizing and cross branding. And, you know, I mean, so it's, it's, it is, like you said, that 800 pound gorilla right now. Alan, did uh, any of your family members have a story that you could share with us? <laughs> <laughs> Not at this time. Thank you. Uh, okay. <laughs> We're That's getting a little pumpkin pie right now. Maybe after. Well, well, well played, Brent. Well played. <laughs> All right, one last question. Um, Amazon is is still the huge gorilla. Um, for the small company, the small retailers out there, what's the best way for them to play Amazon today? Um, how can they, do they have to give in and do everything? Are there little things they can do, but still really handle things outside of the Amazon scope? What, how do, how do small retailers, particularly during the holiday season, what's their best play with Amazon? Whoever wants to tackle that first. I'm going to go first this time. And that way I'll, I'll let somebody else just disagree with me on this one. <laughs> because my thing is, I got this slide up and I say, Amazon is the NFL and you're in Pee Wee. You're not in the same league. I mean, seriously, you're not in the same league. Amazon is not your competition. They are not. They're not taking your business away that you can grab back. You have to really think about how to compete in your field. And when you start trying to compete with somebody, you know, that's way in the NFL and you're in, in the little leagues, you're just going to get confused and you're going to get hurt. And, uh, you know, you might break your neck. Really try to work out how to create a unique 
personalized experience for your customer. And they will be very, very, uh, um, uh, what's the word I want? Well, I don't want to, they'll be attached to you. That's the word I'm looking for. I can't remember the word right now. I got old people syndrome. So, <laughs> but that's that's just my my take on that. Any, any other takers? Uh, I'll um, go next. Um, you know, <clears throat> John said before when I asked about how, what does what does that small business owner do? It's 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 about service. Um, I anecdotally, I have no numbers to back this up. I talk to small business owners and I always ask them, you know, how do you compete? It's like, oh, well, we're known for our service. And everybody says it, but I'm not sure how many actually do it. But there's never been a better time. And, you know, this obviously it's, it's a pitch, but I th but I really believe it, that there are there get the get the tools out of the way that's going to do the easy stuff so that you can focus on the most effective service opportunities in your business, the, the tougher ones, the high profile ones, so that make it easy for your customers to get the information they need to solve their problems, to make the sale, to to close, you know, to at, do the do the after sale. Get that piece out of the way so you can spend whatever little time you have to focus on the most important stuff. So that would be my advice. So before I, Peter, we, we go to you. Uh, the last survey I saw around that, Alan, was I think it was 80% of companies think they provide excellent customer service and experience. 24% of their customers agree with them. There's a little yeah. bit of a discrepancy there. Right. Right. So last, but certainly not least, Peter Mesmer. <laughs> I was going to say on that customer, it's kind of like driving. You know, everybody says they're a great driver. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, my um, mine would be really similar to what Alan said. Um, and I think it would be around experience. So. Um, there's a really cool book called The Experience Economy. I don't know if any of you guys have read it, but um, if there's any way that you can provide a better experience than Amazon, which really shouldn't be too hard. I mean, Amazon, you go there, you buy, they ship your products, and that's pretty much it. Um, and then if you call their customer service, you may have a great experience. You may have an absolutely horrendous experience, um, which I know many people who ha have had that happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you can just bake in some kind of an experience into your products that nobody else has, then, you know, not only can, you know, Amazon not replicate that, but nobody can. So, I mean, I think it, it depends on what you sell. I mean, if you sell something super like basic or simple, you know, it might be harder to come up with something, but, you know, if you can just make the experience of whatever it is you sell, you know, better or different or something that they can only get from you, um, you know, then Amazon, they can't replicate that. They don't care about replicating that. You know, they just care about driving volume. So um, I think that's going to be your big differentiator. Well, we'll we're going to have to end it here. That hour blew by real quick. Uh, so thanks to Peter Mesper, John Coderice Lawson, Alan Burks. And maybe I'll give you each, give us a, a place on the web where we can learn more about some of the stuff you talked about. So Peter, you go first. Yeah, so adshoppers.com uh, will be the site. It's addshoppers.com uh, to check out more about adshoppers. Um, I mean, if anyone here just wants to email me, it's peter at adshoppers.com. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Very good. Colder Ice, you're, you're right next to him, so go ahead. Yeah, I mean, guys, just Google me, Colder Ice, C-O-L-D-E-R-I-C-E. -E. You'll find me. <laughs> 
I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> for me, uh, you go to freshdesk.com. You can see the product. Uh, but And the best way to reach me is on Twitter, Berkson0. Um, reach out. I'm always happy to have a conversation. Well, uh, once again, thanks to all of you, and thanks to everybody who hung on in there. Nice comments. We got a nice flow of, uh, of people that join us today. And uh, this is recorded, so this will you'll be able to check this out later on. Uh, I'm Brent Leary. You can always catch me on Fridays. Uh, I think they usually have the uh, post go up around 10:30. Oh, somebody, is there something going on? <laughs> is, there, is there an emergency in here that we're uh, we're catching here? I think that's what you pulled rice. Are they coming after you right now? Is that what it is? Yeah, dude, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta. You gotta go. <laughs> You can catch uh, me uh, every Friday. We post a conversation uh, on the one-on-one series of Small Biz Trends, Brent Leary, or our Twitter, at Brent Leary. Thanks again, and enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend. Go out there and sell some stuff to people. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. Thanks.